Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. Okay, welcome. This week we are going to be discussing coaching and I am joined by my wonderful wife, Joyce. Welcome to back to the podcast. Hi Mark, it's great to be back. <laughs> Excellent. So looking forward to diving into some of your own professional practice and experience uh, in the intervening period. You've been working with lots of clients, academics and non-academics. You've been doing some group coaching as well. Uh, and I want to get a sense uh, today uh, about the kind of benefits that researchers can get from coaching, uh, the kind of results that you've seen some of your clients get from that, um, and how we can access the superpowers that you can get through coaching. Uh, now, this is something that I, I wrote about in the uh, Impact Culture book. I've recently published a blog on this. I'll put this in the show notes. This was in Times Higher Education. Uh, and as part of that, I looked at some of the evidence uh, around what works, in fact, from a book called What Works in Executive Coaching by Eric Dehan. Um, I'll put a link to that into the show notes as well. And uh, he did, well, he looked at 35 randomized control trials. And looking at those, he found that all but three showed significant advantages for the coached experimental groups versus the control groups. And there are some incredible superpowers that you can get from this. Uh, so improved professional skills, knowledge and confidence. Improved ratings of their effectiveness by their managers. Greater self-belief, goal attainment and job satisfaction. Improved resilience, workplace well-being and career satisfaction. Improved health and life satisfaction. And, crucially, less depression, stress and burnout. And for me, this is one of the reasons why this, as a practice, needs to become more central to our impact cultures. Because if we want our cultures to become more compassionate, and let's remember compassion is empathy plus action, then we should be keying into where our colleagues are at and helping uh, in a much more proactive way rather than just picking up the pieces after people have burned out. And I would argue, surely, this must also be more cost-effective in the long run as well, although it might seem to be more expensive to invest in this up front. Now, uh, if you're listening from an institutional perspective, uh, one of the messages here is to reconsider that mentoring program that you've got and ask whether this could become a coaching program. So uh, the work that me and Joyce did recently um, for a, a, a university that was reviewing its mentoring provision showed that a lot of the colleagues approached their mentors with real fear and trepidation, a sense of judgment. And there is always this sense that it has to be a senior colleague who does this, which instantly gives you 
your problem of numbers, we don't have enough senior colleagues. And there's an instant power dynamic uh, in there, which can be useful, can be helpful when you've got someone who can give you some really helpful pointers. But very often, it can be quite judgmental and quite a challenging space for people. Not the kind of place where they can explore issues uh, and get the kind of self-directed help and empowerment that often is what we need and the kind of stuff that you can get through coaching. Uh, and so transforming from a coaching program in, sorry, from a, from a uh, 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 what do you call it, a mentoring, mentoring program, thank you Joyce, <laughs> to a coaching program uh, is one way of instantly changing up your empowerment, your, your culture, enabling people to do more and better work and creating a more compassionate culture. But if you're listening from an individual perspective and saying, well, great, but that doesn't exist, at least yet, in my university, and you want to access this stuff, then there are lots of different kinds of coaches that you can find. So uh, I, I wonder, what are the kind of things that researchers come to you with, Joyce? What are the different kinds of coaches that you can access, that you can choose from? Tell us a bit more about the kind of practice that, that you do, because there's plenty of people other than just you out there that can help people in this space. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Absolutely. Coaching is a rapidly expanding field at the moment. I think because the research is now coming through to show the benefits of coaching programmes, um, within lots of different spaces. However, I think if you go a little bit deeper in terms of what the coaching relationship provides, actually a coach of any type can be beneficial. However, kind of in broad categories, you can have executive coaches working within business or within um, sort of executive fields. You can have health coaches like myself working within the arena of health and wellness, work like balance, stress management. You can have life coaches who um, would take a, a really broad brush approach and help you just um, kind of really get those life goals in order. But really I think um, we are basically all working as coaches to provide a safe environment, a safe relationship where people can explore their own barriers, their own goals and actually start to make their own progress and without being advised or told what to do it should be, coaching should be very much tailored to the individual person with their own circumstances because actually if you look at what a good coaching relationship should be if you look at the coachee as being the driver and the coach being the vehicle, actually the coachee is always in control of that process and journey and the coach's own personal views about what this person should perhaps be doing, they should really be kept out of it because the, the whole coaching programme or coaching relationship is about empowering the coachee to set up the goals that they would like to achieve in life and actually find the barriers that they struggle most with and the coach just provides that support for them to be removing those as they go along. So you were asking my mark about um, some of the things that I have maybe supported academics with and it, you know perhaps it's slightly off-putting for people to see me as a health coach but what I would actually say is that I'm a health and wellness coach working on resilience around work-life balance. That tends to be where the majority of my work lies. 
obviously with the background of me being a medical doctor, um, I've got a lot of knowledge in health, but that does not stop me from helping people with other things, you know, work goals, family related goals, life goals, I mean really the kind of process is similar. Because I'm not giving advice unless I'm asked for it, and I'm providing a safe space for people to explore their own um, challenges, desires, values, um, fears, joys, all of those things can come um, out within a coaching relationship, then actually um, it's much more holistic than just saying, I am a health coach. Actually, if you look at life as a whole, and I'm doing this more and more with, with the clients and also in my own personal journey in life as well, is that actually our lives sing to one holistic song sheet and actually a good coach should be supporting somebody to see all of those key areas in life that they would like to prioritise and bring into balance. So for researchers in particular, this looks very much like work-life balance, work-home balance, it looks like stress, how to manage that, workload, how to manage that, and really keying into people's underlying values and belief systems and what drives them to do the work that they do. And folk are really finding that they reconnect with those values during a coaching relationship that we might have, and they're finding that they can say no more easily to things that don't actually resonate with them um, without judging them, you know, without judging those things that they don't particularly want to say yes to anymore. It's just realising that that doesn't actually resonate with them and that they don't perhaps have to do everything that is available and possible. I think it's really difficult for academia in general that there are so many opportunities, so many different projects you could work on. There are things that perhaps your department or your managers want you to work on, but actually that doesn't mean you have to do it. There's an awful lot of scope and, and although that's a positive, I think it actually brings real challenge for researchers and academics because it means it, it if you, if you don't tend to self-care very easily, you can get very overwhelmed with all of these choices and then feel really demotivated because it's really difficult to actually um, keep up with all of those choices that you've made. So that's where coaching can really help with work-life balance. Um, Values-based prioritisation really comes through. And then also health and well-being as well. I mean, because we are whole humans, I've found that in order to help people manage their stress and their workload, we've worked with um, areas such as sleep, such as rest, such as um, getting more movement into people's day, good nutrition in order to actually fuel that brain that is so important in academia. I mean, you know, I could go on and on about this because it is such exciting work. And I think I would really back your point um, about the book um, what works in coaching. There's heat. That's a great wee book and it's really densely packed with evidence about why coaching is incredibly powerful. Um, I think perhaps now more than ever before we are realising how work-life balance, work-home balance has become really, really quite out of kilter um, and people more and more are looking for ways of bringing that in and coaching can be a very safe and effective tool that departments and individuals can employ in order to get that 
a real spark back to their research, to their home life. Um, they're really that skip in the step, if you like, um, of really enjoying that that work, finding the, your motivation, finding your kind of curiosity comes back. And and those are the types of things that my clients have said mm. have worked for them. Yeah. So uh, I regularly hear people who are just on the brink of of burnout and and the generic response is to externalize that problem it's um the system um and if not if it's not the system it's their boss their line manager their university uh, or something a little bit a little bit closer to home and or it's the workload model or whatever it is and and you look at some of these people and they list all the different responsibilities that they've got all the different pressures on their time and it just does look completely inhuman um and uh, and i guess you've got people coming to you in that kind of situation where it just it does not add off i can't also then be a husband and a father and and all these other things i'm just at breaking point what on earth do i do and essentially your answer is you have to learn how to drop things which is an obvious answer but you must really get pushback from people who say but that's the whole problem i need someone to take stuff off my plate it's up to someone else to take these things away from me and so i was discussing this with Yoan Fazy, um co-author of uh, the impact culture book uh, a few weeks ago and, and he was saying uh, we need to to try and get this four-day week thing going and, uh, and maybe that's the answer we need to to do this from the top down if people more managers could say let's move to a four-day week and i was like yeah I'm totally up for that, but uh, what do you think the chances are that people would actually take a four-day week? These are academics we're talking about. Everyone's going to say, yes, I get my Friday to catch up on everything I didn't do during the rest of the week. <laughs> and we would still probably work just as much because we don't give ourselves permission to actually drop things or work less. And that must grate with some people, surely, when they come through your door and you're saying, actually, you need to stop externalising. It's not up to anyone else to make this stuff happen. You're the one who needs to do it. How do you help people overcome that barrier? That's a really good question. And I think the first thing I would say to you there, Mark, is that I would never tell a, a client to stop doing anything. Because remember, this is coaching and this is about them. And usually the client is aware that their their work-life balance is completely out of kilter and they need to do something. And the coaching relationship is about very gently unpicking that. And they know the answers are within the person, but they need that space and time to actually be heard, first of all, and then to think for themselves about what becomes really clear to them and this is the power this is almost where the magic happens um in coaching and i think this is where coaching is much more powerful than mentoring per se because actually it gives the client or person or researcher whoever it is you're working with um it gives them that agency back and they realize then that they do have choice and that they can then try mini experiments about, okay, so I'm going to maybe try saying no to this for a while and see how that feels. Because sometimes it's just a case of 
saying no once or twice, realising that there's actually no kickback against that and the whole world isn't going to fall down because there is a real fear um, within academia that if you start saying no then there's going to be this giant kickback, there could be repercussions, your funders could get angry or you know your, your, your managers could get angry but actually as people realise that when they make values-based choices you know, obviously they want to be collegial and part of a team, so they don't say no to all the things that are perhaps mandatory. Um, but they do say no to some stuff, and, and realising that you can say no without the kickback actually is a real positive feedback loop. Um, so, also the second thing I would say is that you were talking about, do people kick back at me? Well, no, because number one, it's a self-select group. I would never, you know, nail somebody down and say, I think you need coaching, because actually it has to be something that somebody is seeking out. Therefore, they're already on that cycle of change. They're not at the pre-contemplation stage. They're already contemplating, things are tough, I need help, I'm going to go for coaching. Um, so that's the first thing I would say is that no, I don't get kickback because number one, I'm not giving advice and number two, people are coming to me for support. And usually I just help them to see um, where, you know, where their own barriers are to change. And as they start to gently remove them, they begin to become empowered. And then actually what then starts to happen is as they start to self-care more, they realise they can get more done in less time. So that's kind of the next part that starts to come through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I have had some people who go, do you know what, I need to go part time because I'm just not managing this. Um, you know, but then there are others who realise that they can say no to things mm -hmm. and then they actually have more time to get more done um, of the things that they prioritise. So, yeah, I mean, I think it boils down to the beauty of coaching is that it is, it is client-focused, client-directed. It is a safe space for people to explore. I mean, I'm not going to go out and about and talk about um, to other academics or managers about the struggles and challenges that they've had and the barriers that they would like to remove. Um, and also, they can experiment. They can try different things. Okay, that didn't work. Then maybe come back to the next session and say, well, you know, I would like to change this. And, and the great thing about coaching is anything is possible. You can experiment with all these different ways of running your day or your life, different ways of prioritising. Folk have come up with ingenious, creative ways of working that really are unique to them and, and that's the, the beautiful thing about being a coach is learning from others, seeing things that work for different people and it's one size does not fit all. I think that's the that's the struggle I have with like, right, so the managers just have to make a four day work week. I mean, yeah, great, that'll work for some, but it really won't work for others, you know? So it's just about trying to find what works for every individual and that's what a coach's role is. Yeah, and if that is your preferred solution, then Brilliant. work compressed hours and take your Fridays off if you yeah. want to. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. you know, that's great. And, and I would, all I would say is that self-care spent well in the way that works for you absolutely pays off in the short term and the long term because of the increased well-being, increased work satisfaction, increased focus, creativity, clear-mindedness. You can get through your tasks faster than before. Decisions are made more easily without as much guilt. 
um, and there's less stuckness and procrastination around sort of bigger writing tasks as well. Um, that's what I would say. I mean, and also don't forget that coaching can help people to make a toolkit because obviously life is not plain sailing and in a profession like research and academia, challenges will come. And I think a coaching programme can leave people with a toolkit, with a greater understanding of themselves so that they can see the signs, perhaps, of stress earlier and actually stave it off sooner than before. Mm. And they can say to themselves, aha, right, this happened before, this is how I felt and these things worked before, so I can try this sooner. Mm. So it actually provides greater long-term resilience as well. So listening to you, I guess there's four things maybe that that come to mind um, as the the key elements of the coaching relationship um, that can help academics. Um, so the the first is just creating a breath, creating a space, and I think that. Uh, life just becomes so busy and it, I think since we moved increasing on, online you can just fill every gap uh, and you're running between meetings and you're not even getting that literally running between meetings you are just switching from one screen to another mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and just getting that space in your day where you're programming in an hour or however long it is once a week or however often that you're seeing a coach to just breathe and see the big picture and mm -hmm. not just get mm -hmm. kind of lost in, from in, yeah not able to see the wood for the trees kind of thing yeah. i think the second thing then is is the empowerment element so great i've got a bit of perspective i can see yeah i've gone astray i said yes to a bunch of things i probably shouldn't have done or uh, whatever it is that, that you're kind of regretting having happened you can see much more clearly you're connecting with your values and so the second thing is that you need to be empowered to actually act on those insights um, because just the space alone is not enough. So now, okay, see what I need to do and I've got that accountable relationship. There's also just that, that, that friendship, that trust. Here is someone who cares for me, uh, who my success is their success. They are invested in me making this work um, and they're going to do so in a compassionate way without beating me up if I don't quite manage to do it. Yeah, I, that's a really good point, Mark, actually, is that if you don't quite manage to do it, a good coach would see that as an opportunity to discover more about mm. the barriers that you have to change and to try in different things. So, I mean, all of those things are opportunities. There is no failure. Mm. There's just stuff that happens that you can learn yeah. from. Yeah, you can totally reframe that. So, yeah, if the first two are about making space and then empowering, hand-holding, supporting, enabling someone to do something with those insights, I guess the, the second two things are about maintaining that and becoming more resilient. Um, and so the first, I guess, is is what is unique about uh, coming to someone who is more of a health and well-being coach um, or a life coach rather than just an executive coach, which is that those prompts to say, so uh, what are, what's happening elsewhere in your life at home and you know, thinking about your nutrition and how well you're actually resting and sleeping and mm -hmm. things like that and how... When you start to, to get a grip on those kinds of things, that then feeds back positively to the self-care to create and maintain even more space and empower yourself even more to follow through on the insights that you get. 
And then over time, as you try more and more different things, you build up this toolkit. So, okay, I've tried this this time, but it didn't work, but I've got a plan B and a plan C, and you become increasingly self-sufficient, so you no longer need a coach. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it works. And then, obviously, you know if you really get into a sticky position in the future, coaching has worked for you before. But nine times out of ten, I would argue... I haven't actually been a coach long enough to get to this point, um, but I, I would probably argue that nine times out of ten people wouldn't need to go for another coaching programme. It would perhaps just be a top-up session or, you know, to dig back down into the work that they did with their original coaching programme. Yeah, because the whole point of coaching is that you come out the other side changed, more resilient, with more tools for life, more insight into who you are as a person and a researcher, uh, and really understanding your core values, barriers, what challenges you, what motivates you, and really to lean back into that. And I think that's where the, the problems have arisen, and obviously it has now been highlighted in post-pandemic working. Hybrid working is really challenging for academics. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talking about how hard that is. Um, it works for some, but I think most are finding the balance very tricky indeed and really quite stressful with very little breathing space in between things. Um, and I think this has highlighted a lot of stuff that was happening before, but it's just brought it all to the fore. And certainly people are realising more than ever how stressed they are and how much that's affecting their health and well-being, relationships at work and home. And I think um, my background as a doctor shows me that we aren't just one small kind of issue we are whole beings and if we, if we self-care adequately most of the time then we'll have resilience in health we have resilience at work we've got resilience as family members and we we kind of have to look at it holistically um because that we're not just a working machine and you know eventually the batteries are going to run out if we look at ourselves like that so i think um the the yeah the the beauty of health coaching health and wellness coaching is that it can actually look at all of those areas in life yeah yeah i mean just listening to you uh, i think you can kind of catch just the enthusiasm that you have for this I and mean, i've watched you you enjoyed being a doctor but you love being a coach yeah, <laughs> what, what 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 is it that, that inspires you most about this i think as a doctor i was an advice giver um, I'll hold my hand up to say, uh, as the profession, we give advice, people come, they ask for advice, it's very paternalistic, because in some ways it has to be. Um, I do believe now that in a lot of ways it doesn't have to be so much like that, um, and definitely within the health arena people are recognising that. I know that there's a lot of work in primary care about trying to give um, patients back agency for their own health, but it's been tricky because... Um, over the last 75 years, the, the NHS has created an environment where people come to receive advice. And that's hard. It's almost been a product of its own success. So it'll take a while to U-turn that. Um, however, as a coach, I am now fully 
um, responsible for creating a safe environment in which I don't have responsibility for the other person's decision making and realisations. That is over to them and I think that's what I love is watching the client really find themselves and that's a beautiful thing to be part of as a coach because you can see them open up their wings and fly um, when they came in thinking they had no choice at all, actually realising that in so many different arenas in life they actually have choice, that they can apply to their life every day, can make a huge difference to people. And, and you know, seeing the caterpillar turn into the butterfly is it's really a privilege. I really love it. And I learn something from every client that I work with. Um, because every individual is unique and it really is a privilege working with, with people, especially, you know, folk that I'm working with are by and large professionals with very demanding jobs um, and, you know, seeing people find a path through that incredibly challenging work environment that we now live in is, it's, it's I really feel like I can do something of worth and value and give that time, space, ears mm. to people who really do not get that on a day-to-day -day basis in any other way. Yeah, and then they're on their own, they can do this themselves. They don't have to keep coming back to you or another professional to get more advice because they're leading that whole process yeah, themselves. They are, and I think empowering people to realise that an awful lot of the answers are within them and they can trust themselves mm. to do that. They can give themselves permission and they can trust their own values instincts feelings symptoms sometimes you know our symptoms that we have yeah. tell us so much about what we're doing and what decisions we could potentially change and make yeah. and, and i think to be that vehicle for people to realize all of these truths is is really quite a, a privileged thing to be doing yeah totally uh, what about um, PhD students, others uh, listening that have limited income? Um, uh, people often ask me about that, and I've traditionally said, well, maybe you need to find yourself a, a mentor, someone who would be willing to do this for free. And yeah, there's some benefits of that, but I think compared to the kind of thing that you're talking about, it's just in a different ballpark altogether. Uh, what, what do you do if you want a coach, but you can't really afford one? Well, for me personally, and I'm sure other coaches out there would be the same or similar, it would, for me, if you are on a limited income, I don't even just restrict this to, to students per se, I would work with you in terms of what finances you have available. Um, certainly for PhD students, I would really reduce my prices because there is no reason why coaching should not be affordable and available to you at the beginning of your career in order to like build in some of these ways of thinking, mindsets and toolkits now so that you don't end up stressed and burnt out later. Um, and certainly I've done that for PhD students um, and, and it's worked well for me and for them. And certainly I, I do think that other coaches, it's worth just asking. I mean, the, the worst thing that can happen is that they say, um, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't accommodate that for now because there are a lot of us that will. Mm -hmm. And also you might be interested to know that um, 
the Department of Health in England, um, now we're in Scotland so I might get this wrong and it might warrant you um, if you are in England um, looking this up, but there are grants available and funding available through the Department of Health for people in the health and wellness and you can actually use this funding for um, health and wellness coaching. Um, I know people that have done it, so that's worth a look, and we will put the link to that in the show notes as well. Correct, um, so you can check I, it out. Because I have yes. it, so you can check it out, and, and certainly I know um, one or two folk that have access to that, but it's it's not uh, widely available knowledge, but it is there. Yeah, and I guess the, finally then, the other way to think about this is whether you might be able to get coaching through your university, and my experience is that there are very few universities that will offer one-to-one coaching. Um, but uh, but you do um, kind of training type things, which is a kind of group coaching, and I'm aware that you're bringing uh, in a, a new group coaching product. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in that space. Yeah, so I have been running for the last nearly 18 months the Health Resilient Researcher course, which has been really successful and has had some fantastic feedback. People have really enjoyed it. However, I am aware that there is then very little coaching follow-up after that and we have been approached by several universities asking if we do group coaching and so at the moment I am just getting ready to launch um, my Resilient Researcher Coaching Programme which is specifically designed for researchers and it's much deeper and broader than the Health Resilient Researcher, which is why it's going to be called the Resilient Researcher, because it looks at the key barriers that academics can struggle with um, that you have spoken about in the Productive Researcher. So that would be perfectionism, imposter syndrome and people pleasing. We have a session on that. There's a session on finding and digging deeper into your values. We look at um, fostering better relationships at work and how you can um, deal with perhaps some of the challenges that arise within work relationships. We look at rest, sleep, nutrition. Um, so this will be a nine month programme with sessions once a month, looking at small groups um, to really try to start empowering groups of people. And my, my idea here is to get this health and wellness holistic approach to work home balance really in the cultural narrative which was an idea that sparked in me a fairly long time ago when I was proofreading the Impact Culture book um, and it really struck me that actually the, the cultural narrative within um, groups could really be taken to the fore by coaching um, and by a coaching programme to really give folk permission to talk to each other about these things in in meetings, in groups at work, um, have WhatsApp support groups for each other. Um, so the idea is that if you take your um, department or research group or management committee through a coaching programme, then you have set up a support group there that's kind of generically evolved through the course of the programme that is then another resilient strategy into the future. Um, and then the top-down modelling um, of coaching can filter through departments, hopefully, um, really the, the sort of rub-off, if you yeah. like, will hopefully come. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, absolutely. I, 
I can see the the breadth and depth of help that people are going to be able to get for themselves, but also got a different thing where you get to not only discuss with you, but you're creating that safe space where people can bounce ideas off each other and help each other. And also, because you're doing that as part of a community of people working together, you've got that time in between sessions and then beyond mm. the program for people to continue supporting each other yeah. and encouraging each other and helping each other through these things. And I think very often it is just about giving people permission to have those conversations and to to create a more authentic culture where you can be your whole self in work and and reach out in empathy to others to help them so that we are far more compassionate and for me my hope is that that by doing this that you are going to be able to seed some really compassionate roots of of, of cultures across the country where you do this or around the world who knows who's going to go with this yeah absolutely but you know it's it's exciting times we don't know how um where the the this is going to be received uh, however you know I, I do feel as well just something that you said there mark the fact that each research department or group has got a, a, a kind of unique culture of its own and we know this already from the training that we've done sometimes you know, groups come to each of, you know, my and your trainings and they're really absolutely amazed that people within the same research group have actually been struggling with the same issues. And it's just like, it's like a breath of fresh air for people realising that, you know, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one struggling with these things. So I think that's where the germ of the idea was born for me is is recognizing that that openness that that authenticity is just so much more empowering and it's also stress relieving as well to bring your whole self mm. to work and not just your work part mm. um can can actually be a real stress reliever and finding a group of like-minded people who want to approach work in a similar but not identical way um, can actually be really great where you're kind of bouncing ideas off each other and, and learning from each other. And certainly um, as I'm trialling the, the coaching programme with a group at the moment, I'm finding exactly that, is that a lot of the time, you know, I'm just sitting in the background gatekeeping and they are really kind of empowering each other. And each session has been... Um, at the end, folk have said how light they feel and how lovely it is to talk about these types of things with their colleagues mm. and the fact that it's just, you know, the leave with a lightness of step. And your task being creating the safe space where yes. people can do that and maintaining yeah. that, that, that safety and, and just... Yeah, shepherding people through that that process that, that they ultimately take together. Mm -hmm. That's it, exactly. Well, uh, I hopefully we're going to to have uh, this launched, and um, my goal certainly is to have a link to the group coaching in the show notes. So let's uh, let's aim for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm up for that, Definitely. Uh, always good to have a deadline. So um, so let's just say that. Go and have a look just now, and sure enough, you will see a link to uh, to the new group group coaching from Fast Track. Um, uh, and you can find out more or just uh, set up a meeting to discuss that with Joyce if you're interested to find out more and think about how that might work in your context. Yeah. But uh, I'll give you the last words, Joyce, in terms of any kind of final thoughts that you want to say. But for me, it's been really cool. Um, I mean, I've talked to you about this. I always... Um, I, 
yeah, I, I think I thought I, I knew exactly what coaching was, and clearly I didn't. Um, I've learned a whole lot about what it is and isn't, um, but also its potential. And, uh, and I think, yeah, from I have a coach myself, an executive coach, um, and and I find it incredibly empowering on, on a pretty much a bi-weekly basis, just to have that continuity, that that sense of. Uh, yeah, just staying on track and being accountable, but also that safe, compassionate place where, yeah, I can bring the failures and the things that uh, didn't go well and reframe them as maybe not quite such a failure and learn from them. So uh, my hope is that, that as you're listening to this, you're asking yourself that question, how? By hook or by crook, can I find someone who can enable me to get some of those kinds of benefits? So Joyce, some final words for anyone thinking about this. I think if you're thinking about getting a coach, if some of the things we've said today resonate with you, then just start exploding. I mean, there are loads of coaches working, executive coaches, life coaches, health coaches. There's a coach out there, I believe, for everybody. And don't settle for somebody that you don't connect well with. So most coaches will do a... Um, a cost-free exploratory type call. I certainly do. Um, you can have up to half an hour completely free of charge to connect with me, have a chat, see the sorts of things that you would like to do together, um, see if you, you like the coach, if there's a, a, a click um, with that person. And, and that's really important to remember that, you know, you can always try a few different people, see what works. It can be in your department if you're lucky enough to have um, in-house coaches. If not, certainly try a private one. Um, and then look out for group coaching as well because that can be, um, if you're paying for that privately, that can be less costly than having a, an, a, a, an individual coach. So that's always worth thinking about. Um, and certainly health and wellness coaching can be really integrative and inclusive if you also have um, concerns over your own health, stress levels, burnout, um, any underlying health conditions. Um, and But life coaching can be really powerful too. But all I would say is if you're thinking about it, if this resonates with you, reach out um, and explore and certainly I would never turn away anybody who would like a conversation whether you want to convert that to coaching or not it doesn't matter um, reach out to me I'm happy to talk about it fantastic Joyce thank you once again I know this won't be your last appearance but uh, it has been a pleasure having you back on the podcast it's been great thanks Mark and yeah great see you next time <laughs>